1: A block of Northeast Portland has, for years, been a microcosm for all the issues Portland and other cities face. Homelessness, drug use, sex trafficking, and rampant crime from homicides to property crimes. People who live in and around the area are looking for answers, but no one seems to have any. I'm Destiny Johnson, and this is Beat Check with The Oregonian. This week, I talked to Savannah Edens, a breaking news reporter with The Oregonian and Oregon Live, who spent months reporting on the intricacies of Portland's deadliest block. Here's our conversation. Hi, Savannah. Thanks so much for being here and chatting with me today. I'm excited to talk about your article.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Destiny.
1: So you spent months... Um, in Northeast Portland on this one block. Can you take us back to the beginning? When did you first realize you wanted to look into this specific area? Can you talk about the hotel that's sort of geographically central to this area that you talk a lot about in your article, The Madison Suites Motel? Um, can you explain it to listeners? What's it look like? What's the area look like? Who are the players in this story?
2: Absolutely. Um, I've been working on this project, which is probably the the biggest I've ever done in my career thus far, um, just with all of the different elements. But um, I've been working on it for about three months, but I would say this story started long before that. So um, I'm a breaking news reporter on our public safety team, and I've spent a, a better part of the past uh, year and and some change uh, covering the ongoing gun violence in Portland and I spend a lot of time at homicide scenes. So taking you back um, in January, January 23rd specifically, I it was a it was a normal day. I you know in the sense that I, I believe it was like a Monday morning and there had been a homicide the night before. And so you know my job is to go out there and try to figure out what happened because often you know we you know we can't rely on the very little. Uh, amount of information that the police give. And so, you know, we, we go out and we talk to people and we, we scope out the area, even if it's many hours after. And so that was the case in, in, in this. So, um, on January 23rd of this year, um, Aaron Williams, who was originally from Clackamas, he was experiencing homelessness off and on. I later learned, um, through, you know, conversations with his family as well as addiction. And his um, body was found um, on the property of, at the time, it wasn't clear to me if it was even a motel. I thought maybe it was some sort of um, small housing units, like Section 8 kind of housing. And it was very dilapidated, like kind of greenish peeling paint, boarded up windows. There were signs about security cameras and um, signs about you know, warning against, like, prostitution and stuff like that, and there was these, there were these big, like, shipping cargo containers in the middle of the property. It was just a very confusing area, and it, it felt sketchy, like, from the start, but I sort of naively was just like, oh, I'm gonna figure it out, so I'm knocking on doors, and uh, a lot of people weren't too happy about that, but that morning I I learned, you know, that Aaron Williams had been shot on the property the night before. there were bullet holes in those shipping containers marked with, um, evidence markers. And they're still there to this day, A, B, and and C. And, um, and I spoke to people who lived in a, a camp on the block and, you know, I heard whisperings of, of rumors and about what might have happened. And, uh, I thought, you know, this place is, this place is weird, you know? Um, but, And then I did a profile on Aaron Williams and I learned a little bit more about his life. Um, And then in March, again, another typical day on the breaking news desk, but we see that there was a homicide once again. And, and, and then I see, you know, 8200 block of Northeast Milton and I was like, no way again. And it actually goes back to August as well, because um, two men and like four others were wounded, but two men were shot to death, David and Odin Turner, and on August 10th of last year, and inside of a trailer at the corner of Northeast 82nd and Milton. And so by the end of March, we saw the trend. So four four different people have been killed in basically a hundred hundred yards, like the size of a football field. Um, so it and i had started to receive um emails from some neighbors who lived in that area raising concerns about the Madison Suites and about um all of the the crime and, and the gun violence in their neighborhood and so just kind of started piecing it together and it was complex from the start there's so many different characters and so many different fingers pointing blame uh about something that's really like incredibly systemic in terms of organized crime. Um it's I I write in the story that the eighty two hundred block of Northeast Milton is a microcosm, a sort of an intensified version. Take every issue that Portland is facing from a public safety, criminal or livability lens, and you will find all of it on this block.
1: And you sort of Speaking of all the the characters that are within this story, you have the people who live in the encampment, the people who live in the motel, you've got neighbors who live in that neighborhood, and then you've got these people who are affiliated with a nearby Mm -hmm. church. Um, And in your story, you sort of explain that some of the people, including the motel owner himself, suggest that a cure to some of the ales of this area might be to rip down mm-hmm. the motel. This is such a complicated and layered mm-hmm. issue with a lot of, as you said, societal and systemic, you know, causes to these problems. Do you think ripping down something like a, a problematic motel or a nuisance property would solve all of these problems truly?
2: I mean, it's a very nuanced issue. So I'm going to give a nuanced answer. You know, it's never that easy. Um I- I don't, the, the short answer is I, I don't know. Nuisance, chronic nuisance properties have, you know, been an issue for a long time in, in, in every city. Um, there's always places that, you know, sort of become magnets for, for whatever reason, uh, you know, an opportunistic area for, for crime. Um, when I listened in on a neighborhood Zoom meeting back in April when I was first reporting this story in early April. Um, All of the, several of the neighbors in the area were on a call and trying to figure out how to solve this problem and, and what role that they could play in that, how to get the city's attention, how to make their neighborhood better, safer, and the opinions that day, fascinatingly, ranged from, let's help this minority-owned business. Uh, Madison Suites is owned by a, a family, the Patel family, um, who are Indian immigrants. And so it ranged from, let's help them get the resources that they need to, to better their business, to one neighbor said, I wish it would burn down. The last time I spoke to Mike Patel, the owner who manages the property most of the time, he expressed a desire for the city or a private developer to, quote, tear it down to ground zero. So even the owner is over it. What's much less clear is sort of these nameless, faceless, sources of the drug scourge in the neighborhood. So there are a lot of people who stick around because they are addicted. And they tell me they as and the people who live in the camp or come to the camp to do drugs um tell me that it's a it's a place where you know what they need is easily accessible and there is a demand and there's a supply and you know unfortunately you know it probably take many many more months of investigating to figure out exactly who that is or what characters are you know feeding the truly the drug epidemic on that block um as well as the human trafficking we know that there are several open investigations into sex trafficking at the motel um a sergeant in the human trafficking unit at the Portland Police Bureau said that in many of their investigations, in one way or another, the road leads them to Madison Suites. But unfortunately, the police bureau wouldn't uh, divulge any information about uh, drug or homicide investigations. So there's a lot that we still don't know, but you know, it's unclear, you know, if you tear down or if you close the motel and you have a vacant property in an area that's already been known for many, many years, as sort of high crime, high vice at, as one of my sources called it, that doesn't seem like it would help the problem. Um, and if it, yeah, it's, So many people feel like Madison Suites is the magnet, but it's really the entire block of that area. I'm not sure the solution is so simple.
1: And I think you did a really good job of conveying that in your writing, right? There are so many different actors here. There are so many different issues here. And um, you did a great job pulling back the curtain. So people who maybe look at this area and think, why do people stay here? Can sort of understand that there are a lot of intricacies that go into what is happening on this block and crime is just one of them. The homicides that we see the headlines on is just one of them. And sort of in that vein, why do you think this area has been known, I should say, for a long time to many people as this sort of crime-ridden area? And why do you think that we haven't heard a lot about it. I say we as people who read the news frequently.
2: I think what's really fascinating about Northeast 82nd and Milton is that, as a neighborhood, Madison South, where this you know area sits in, Madison South is isn't, according to police data, it's nowhere near the level of crime in terms of like shootings um, and homicides as other neighborhoods like Old Town, uh, you know, Chinatown and um, Powellhurst, Lentz, like Mount Scott. Those are the areas where we know because we've heard, you know, because there have been so many shootings. Madison South as a neighborhood isn't really experiencing that issue. 82nd Avenue is and northeast milton this one block has seen four homicides but i think the reason it's maybe not on people's radar is because in a in a broader sense the amount of shootings don't compare to other areas of portland what's unique about this is that it's on basically one block or you know uh you could you could pump like bump it out to you know, a few blocks where there have been other shootings in the area, like on Fremont, um, 81st, um, you know, up on Sandy. But it's really, um, I think it should be on our radar and I think it should be getting everyone's attention. But when you're not so confronted or you don't have to see, you know, an area like this every day, then It's not in your face. And I think that's, it really speaks to what I enjoy reporting about, which is, you know, livability issues and quality of life for everyone involved. It was really important to me to tell a story that wasn't just from the perspective of people who own homes or live in homes in this neighborhood, but by all of the human beings who are impacted by the violence and the, you know, uh, the truly detriments to, to quality of life.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that that is a really important job of a journalist. Um, we're going to take a break here and when we return, we'll continue talking with Savannah Edens, breaking news reporter at the Oregonian about Portland's deadliest block.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: And we're back here with Savannah Edens to talk about her most recent story, Portland's Deadliest Block. Um, in your story, We talk about how there's lots of different people involved. And and one of those groups is a group affiliated with a nearby church. And these people come out and they talk to the people in the nearby encampment and they try to help. Um, If people feel, read this story and feel compelled to help in this block or any other block in Portland, how might they be able to do that?
2: I'm so glad you asked that because I think that the relationship that the folks at the First Orthodox Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church whose parking lot butts, you know, backs into Northeast um, Milton, the relationship that they've built, uh, the community that they have fostered with other neighbors um, in in the area, as well as the people who live in the camp, is probably the most inspiring and hopeful part of this story, in my personal opinion, so, um, you know, they've been affected for a really long time. Um, again, I think there's a broader interest for the, you know, they want their the neighborhood to look better and be safer because they have a church there and they have people coming in to go to church, um, and they spend a lot of time there. But for not living on the block like the neighbors do, they're they're really quite invested and at one point, you know, for a long time, the church people were sort of afraid of talking to people at the camp. Um, And it was that fear that I think led to a misunderstanding. They were afraid to really work with the motel too, because they just didn't understand what was going on. It just looked sketchy and unsafe. So now that they're forming relationships, they've actually, some of them are trained and certified to make referrals to services, to social services, like, um, you know, um, you know, mental health and, um, you know, addiction recovery, uh, like Bybee Lakes, for example. Um, so I would say that for other people in Portland who are living in an area where there might be similar issues, I think it's really important to be educated about what's going on in your community, the history of your community and in Portland in general, you know, like learn about the opioid problem, learn about, the you know read our amazing uh homelessness reporters coverage that really shows the nuances of life for unsheltered people in portland um i think people are 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 generally humans you know we are more interested in the things that impact us and in portland i think for the average person that's maybe been like property crime catalytic converter theft car theft you know uh, you know, seeing trash or seeing camps and stuff like that. But there are, there are deep and dark, um, incredibly sad, um, problems facing some of our most vulnerable people. But I think it's really important to connect and, and, and learn about what's going on in your community, connect with neighbors, other coalitions who can help in the case of, these neighbors, they connected with their neighborhood coalition because they didn't want to be like named in, uh, like a letter to the motel and, you know, having someone speak on your behalf who has authority or, um, you know, reputation, uh, seemed to be really effective. Um, for a long time, like the neighbors and the people at the church were just reporting the trash or the camp or the open air drug use or, uh, you know, someone in crisis, they were reporting it over and over and over again to like PDX reporter or calling the police. And it was effective in like removing the camp, but it was just a bandaid. And I think everyone who's gotten involved in this area understands and realizes that there really needs to be a systemic change because, as long as there is like what many people have told me so many connections to the things that people who are addicted need, um, or people who are involved in organized crime or people who are being victimized into like sex trafficking, for example, as long as that, as long as that demand and the supply is there, like there's nothing stopping that cycle. I think, um, what I've gleaned from it is an incredible amount of empathy uh, from everyone involved. Um, I would add it's important maybe to educate yourself on needle exchange or trauma informed approaches or um, being equipped with Narcan, then just being aware of you know what housing services are available, what are the alternatives to police as well. I think and I think a lot of people in Portland feel that approach, but for a lot of us who don't come. From maybe from a background of socioeconomic disadvantage or have a personal experience with addiction, for example, it can be really easy to maybe roll your eyes or just misunderstand or be afraid of a place like this. And don't get me wrong, it's absolutely not safe in the 8200 block of Northeast Milton. I've spent enough time there that I have authority to say like it wasn't always safe really for me to be there. But it's incredibly unsafe for all the other humans, objectively, who are most vulnerable to um, ongoing violence, but it's sort of the the pinnacle of violence, which is just bullets flying through the air, um, I yeah, I would just keep coming back to empathy, and that's in no way excusing what's going on in in this block. You know, it's incredibly complex, and and people are dying. Um, But there also are a lot of comorbidities to crime that I think we overlook when we're trying to understand people's actions through a criminality lens and not through a human lens, which is that there are many roads and paths like poverty, substance abuse and addiction, mental health, lack of resources, the comorbidities that can kind of lead to that path. And I think it's important to take a step back and look at the bigger picture.
1: And I think what these volunteers from the nearby church offer to this story is understanding that empathy leads you to seeing what you may have previously saw as just mm-hmm. a problem as people, people. Mm-hmm. right? These people who make up this very complicated and intricate issue that our society is facing. You have mentioned that this block is sort of a microcosm for the bigger the city overall. Um, Because so many of these things are happening and and it was really nice to read as I was reading around the issues um, that this block faces to see that these people had made this effort to see the people who live there like your reporting was trying to do and I think accomplished in a really great way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I tried my best. It it can be really um, fraught and difficult, you know, for similar reasons that people who are unsheltered maybe don't want to talk to police. They also don't really want to talk to journalists. Um, And, you know, we don't want to exploit their trauma or their stories either. Um, I always want to hear their perspective if they'll tell me, but they're also maybe not always safe to do so. There's a lot of fear here and I have spoken to some people and I've, you know, sp- you know, have from sources with firsthand knowledge that there are many people on this block who have witnessed violent crimes and are afraid to talk about it.
1: It kind of, in a sad way, leads me to my next question, which is when we as journalists work on these long-term projects, um, not everything makes it into the story. You know, we we talk to so many people, and so many different stories can come out of it. Was there anything that sort of was left on the cutting room floor that you felt particularly inspired by, or want people to know about?
2: Well, it it isn't really entirely on the cutting room floor as much as it's sort of been a, a last minute addition to the story, which is that in response to my inquiries posed directly to the head of the city the mayor of portland ted wheeler um and his right-hand man sam adams an advisor to the mayor who was a former portland mayor they are personally getting involved as of last week uh, as of a few days before the project published over the weekend and um i think that's really interesting for a number of reasons. Um, one of the paths that this project led me down was trying to understand the city's chronic nuisance property ordinance, um, because it was mentioned, uh, by neighbors early on who were, you know, trying to brainstorm solutions. There, there was a belief that it was still sort of a viable option to, um, pursue like, um, uh keeping records of all the complaints and concerns in an area and building a, a case to um file like formal chronic nuisance property complaint. And so it's a city ordinance that's been on the books for a while but hasn't been used in it like five or six years. And I think that there's a sidebar in, in the project, we call it sort of like an additional side story, um, that ex- goes into more depth, but because so much of it was open-ended, there was always like this big question mark of like, what is the solution? Like all of these agencies in the city from the Portland Bureau of Transportation to the police, to the community safety division, to, you know, neighbor, like all of these, the office of community and civic life, they're they all know about this area um, and they've all been contacted by the neighbors. And many have uh, made some steps towards like trying to fix the problems, doing like site assessments, um, you know, working with the motel owner. Um, But it still kind of leads to really like one of your first questions, which is like, what is the solution here? Like what happens to Madison suites or if something happens there, you know, does that alleviate all the other troubles um but i think yeah it's just been really fascinating to learn that like the chronic nuisance property code which has to basically be instigated by police um is is no longer really used um the city cites like resources and sort of a a change in um in policy or like you know uh priorities um at one point, it was a useful tool. Uh, Sam Adams told me for um, addressing commercial establishments where there's a concentration of crime. It was never very effective, or really the right tool for like residential properties because, like. Because of equity issues, really, like, you know, for the city to come at you and fine you, you know, for not upkeeping your lawn, for example, um, didn't sit well with, you know, the general population because of, you know, disability and poverty and, uh, you know, other things that might make it hard for someone to keep up with their property. But it's just fascinating to me that like we have these ordinances like on the books and people like constituents and residents might think that they're still an option and there's just like a major uh, lack of clarity and, and a general dysfunctionality in our city government um, that leaves a lot of people just scratching their heads.
1: The bureaucracy of it kind yeah. of gets in the way of uh, yeah, totally the, the humanity element almost. And hearing now that the mayor and Sam Adams are both personally vested in in visiting this area and and taking a deeper look at it sort of demonstrates the power of journalism, right? We have this power to um, uncover things in the place where we live and and help people who live in the area, but um, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right?
2: it totally is like you know it, it really kind of caught me off guard and and uh they started um making some headway or some efforts there like just a few days before my story published because um because i was asking questions <laughs> and i would have never expected that like that's not the goal going into a project right like to get the ball rolling on solutions necessarily but it is about getting attention and i just really wanted the opportunity to share a slice of life into the, the deeper systemic issues behind the gun violence. Um, and, um, and, and, and uncovered so much in the process, but I, yeah, I never expected that, um, bringing attention to it might, you know, kind of nudge the, you know, leader of, of Portland to get involved especially because this has been going on for so long and and I'm told that it was on Wheeler's radar but he um is uh this week um f- I guess formally announcing an emergency order called Safer Summer PDX and and he said that this story is a perfect example of you know what he wants to do with that emergency order which we're yet to see exactly what that looks like. I guess we'll maybe find out this week in terms of, you know, funding and strategy and resources. Um, but you know, maybe the 8200 block of Northeast Milton will be a part of, I guess that pilot project. I know Sam Adams has been out to Madison Suites, uh, the motel and walked through the property with Mike Patel, the owner. And, um, apparently they're willing to work together to address solutions you know Sam Adams the last thing he said to me was you know there's lots of work to do so it'll be really interesting to see how it evolves and I'm eager to follow up um with what's going on in this
1: community and that's the hope right that we see some sort of solution and and not because you wrote this story but because four people have been killed in this block in eight months and there are people that are yeah. facing real serious issues right now and they deserve you know quality of life like you were saying and yeah um yeah I think it's I think it's great that you recognize that the story could affect change but it wasn't why you set out to write it you set out to write it because it was important totally to totally and you're a breaking news reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, so you work on lots of different types of things in the public safety realm. Is there anything else that you're working on right now that you might want to give the podcast listeners a little sneak peek of?
2: Yeah, of course. I hope I'm not getting too ahead of myself since I haven't really started on this yet, but um, just like I, you know, we identified a, a trend of this block um, and, uh, this motel and, and the homicides in the area. Another m- major and unfortunate trend is um, the amount of people experiencing homelessness who have been um, victims of shooting homicides. And I am hoping to spend some time diving into the you know systemic problems behind that um, with our homelessness reporter Nicole Hayden. And yeah, the sneak peek would be that, you know, it has a lot to do with some of the similar things that are going on in on Northeast Milton addiction, you know, drug trafficking um, and, you know, homelessness and, and poverty. And it's also pretty complicated. But when you throw guns in the mix, um, there's, you know, always that heightened risk of, of violence. And at least six of the nearly 50 victims of homicide so far this year have been experiencing homelessness that we know of for sure. Um, and so I think that'll be a very, um, important way to to shed light on that issue.
1: For sure. And feels weird to say I look forward to seeing that um, because it's a very serious issue but I look forward to your reporting on it and reading about these issues that are facing our city where we live and work and you know I, I this is all very, very important so I, I can't thank i can't you. wait to read it and i really appreciate you taking time to chat with me about your latest story and the sidebar that came with it and you'll be able to find those two links in the show notes below but thank you so much savannah for joining me and chatting about the hard work that you've been doing thank you
2: so much destiny yeah i'm I'm really eager to uh hear some feedback from the community on all aspects of this project and just really appreciate the opportunity
1: Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you liked the show, please give us a five-star rating and review. It helps other people find our content. The story Savannah wrote and the sidebar can be found in the show notes, and it's definitely worth your time. If you're not a subscriber, you can support our local journalism and read stories like Savannah's for just ten dollars a month. You can do that by going to organlive.com/podsupport. Until next time.